Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. John chapter 5, that's what will be this morning. Um, Hear now the reading of God's word, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Very word of God. Amen. Today, again, I want to talk about uh, Jesus being our help. Title of our time is Jesus is our help. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. You are truly an awesome and mighty God. Uh, We thank you for being help to us in times of need. And God, I do, I pray right now that even as I speak, that you would be my help this morning, that you would hide me behind the cross, your cross, so that we may, Father, have your way here. Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive your word and have your way in this place. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Louis Zamperini. Anybody heard that name before? Louis Zamperini. He, um, you've probably either heard this name or know of him because of the movie Unbroken or you've read the book Unbroken. And Louis was a troubled young boy who turned into an Olympic athlete who ended up entering World War II because the Olympic Games were canceled that year because of the war. And while he was at war, he was placed on a bomber plane, and the bomber plane went down. And he and two other men, or survivors, sat in a raft for some 47 days in the blistering heat in the middle of the ocean with no food or limited food and limited water. And so while he's sitting in the raft, as you can imagine, he's sitting there and he's delirious at some points, but he begins to make all of these promises to God. I'll do this. I'll do this, Jesus, if you save me. I don't want to die in this wrath. If you do this, I, 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 I promise you, I'll give you my life. I, I, will, I won't do this. I won't. He does all, makes all these, these promises to serve God. And then shortly after that, he would be rescued. He, another guy by the Japanese, his enemy. 
And he would be sitting now after this in a prisoner of war camp for some six months. Now what we learn is in the time of trouble, in case you missed it, Louis in the raft turned to Jesus. He didn't necessarily, but Jesus did save him from dying. Now, later, he would remember those promises that he made to God at a Billy Graham conference in 1949, and he would give his life to Jesus. Now, here's my point. Louis, this Olympic track runner, shows us true resiliency. He he shows us what determination looks like by sitting in a raft for some 47 days in the blistering heat, but also going through a a prisoner war camp for six months being beat half to death. But even in all of that, when he couldn't go on any longer, he wasn't too prideful to call on the name of Jesus. He could have given up sitting in that raft. He could have called on all different types of names. But when he needed it the most, he called out to Jesus. Friends, I ask you again, who or what do you run to? Where does your help come from? And please don't answer that question too quickly because I know some of y'all know the right answer. And you're like, Jesus is who I run to. Jesus is the person I go to in a time of need. He is my help pastor. He is the one and only in my life. But hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. If we really want to experience true renewal of our hearts, then part of that process is being real about acknowledging where you are right now. Not knowing the right answer, where are you right now? What's going on in your own heart? Being real. I mean, think about the time, maybe in the last year, where, where you were at your wit's end and, and you couldn't go anymore. You're like, I'm done. I'm going to throw in the towel. Where did you turn? Be honest. Was it Jesus? Was it something or else? Was it some vice, some other person? Someone in here, with all of these people, someone needs some help right now. Who are you turning to? That's the question. Where do you run to in a time of trouble? Who do you run to? In our passage, we we can focus on many things in this passage as you read it. In the context as you read about it, you can talk about the man's sin, and maybe he was in some sin, and he's sitting here by the pool. But today, I really want to focus on the person and work of Jesus. I want to see how he sees the need, and he meets it. We'll see in our text today that our true help comes from Jesus. Two points I want to focus on, and I'm in my seat. Number one, Jesus acknowledges the needs of many. Acknowledges the needs of many. And number two, Jesus acknowledges our personal need. He acknowledges the needs of many, and he acknowledges our personal need. Now, the context surrounding this passage in John chapter 5 deals with what Jesus had just done in in chapter 4. 
And Jesus, so that means we, we got to go to school a little bit before we get into chapter 5 to know where we're going and kind of set the stage for you a little bit. Jesus here in chapter 4, he's just healed an official son. And before that, he crossed every boundary possible to meet this Samaritan woman at the well, uh, a person, and not even just a woman, but a person of a different ethnic descent that Jews did not even, they didn't talk to. They didn't congregate with them. But Jesus you see him go out of his way to share with this woman, and she comes to faith, and as a result, many other Samaritans come to faith because of her testimony. Now, there's much to point out in these two accounts, but what I want you all to notice in both of these people are both talk to or reach out to. Don't miss that. What's the point? The point is that Jesus' ministry or the gospel was not just meant for one people group. And I, I'm not just talking about racially, but also socioeconomically, the downcast, the sick, and the poor. Verse 42, if you look at it in chapter 4, sums it up perfectly. The Samaritan woman, once she comes to know Jesus, the Samaritans come, and they're coming in droves, and they, 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 they say this to this woman. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Key words here. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not the Jews, not the Samaritans, not black, not white, not Latino, not Asian. He says the Savior. They say the Savior of the world. He shares his life with a Samaritan woman who is not only of a different race, but she has been ostracized from society. People don't want to be around her. This is why she's out in the middle of the day fetching water. She got five, she's had five husbands, and the dude she's sleeping with ain't her husband in her house. She has sin, y'all. Her lifestyle is looked down upon. There's much sin and much problems in her life, and she's very different than everybody else, but that doesn't stop Jesus. The official in chapter 4 right after this, he, his son is close to dying. He, he's a Gentile man. He's not a Jew and most likely of much higher socioeconomic status than Jesus and other people around, but that doesn't stop Jesus from talking with him. Gentile, socioeconomically different, doesn't stop Jesus. And with all of that, that kind of frames up where we're going in this text today, because we got a man that has been sick, unable to walk for 38 years, where many have passed him by, but not Jesus. The point again here is that the gospel is not just for one specific group or a race of people. The gospel transcends race, transcends age, status, gender, health, you name it, it transcends it all. But here's the problem. That's why I ain't getting that many amens this morning. We as believers, we tend to dictate how and when or who we share the gospel with. And that's the direct opposite of what Jesus does in his ministry. See, the Jews thought that, that the Messiah was coming back just for them. And we can tend to do the same thing where, where we begin to personalize the gospel and, and, and we, 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 we 
we make it so that, that Jesus is, is just for us, and we, we limit the scope of the gospel, and we say things like, well, I got, I got my personal relationship with Jesus. I'm spiritual. It, it's private. I, I, don't, I don't talk about my relationship with Jesus. Here's the reality. Jesus ain't come just to save you. He, he didn't share his mercy and grace with you, the good news with you, so you can just keep it to yourself. He, he didn't just save you or people like you. But, but you, you, you know why, you know why we, we struggle to be like Jesus, though? Because when, when we share with those that are unlike us, y'all, the gospel message now becomes less attractive. You know why? Because, because it, it forces you out of your comfort zone. Like, I don't want that, Jesus. I, I, I want to be comfortable. I, I, I want to do what I want to do. But... But a, a true gospel message, a true relationship with Jesus forces you out of your comfort zone. A Jesus-centric gospel requires you to have compassion, requires, requires you to eat with those who don't look like you, to, to, to feed the hungry, to clothe the needy. The gospel is to the American dream of working hard. You get a nice salary. You got a big house with a white picket fence, a dog, cat, whatever y'all do. I mean, it, it, it's totally contradictory to that because the American dream is you do all of that for you. Now, listen to me. I'm not opposed to you having nice stuff. I really I like nice stuff. It's not it's not a sin to have nice things. But the American dream says do for you. The gospel says love God and your neighbor. It shouldn't be a choice to eat with those who don't look like us. It shouldn't be a choice to clothe the needy or to feed the hungry, to take care of widows. The gospel compels believers to do these things. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but most of Jesus' ministry was to the needy. I mean, there's over 2,300 verses in the scriptures alone that, that are geared toward the widow, the orphan, and the poor. The gospel compels us to help others. I know I'm in somebody's kitchen already. I mean, this, keep with me. If, you, if I'm not there, I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. Stay with me. This all helps us as we kind of form where we're going in the text today. The context around this text helps us frame up this first point, which is that Jesus acknowledges the needs of many. It's almost as if when you're reading this passage in John chapter 5, is that Jesus, he kind of walks into the trauma wing of Jerusalem. The text tells us that there's a multitude of invalids and people that are blind, that are lame and the paralyzed. I need you to picture this. They're sitting at this pool hoping to be healed. See, what was believed to happen at this pool, what they thought would happen was that the angel of God would come down and he would stir up the water. And if you jumped into the pool while it was stirred up, if you had any type of issue, you would be healed. And so you have all these people sitting at this pool seeking help. They're at this pool of Bethesda, which literally means mercy. Y'all missed that. They're at a place called mercy, seeking mercy, seeking help, compassion, 
healing, forgiveness. Now, I, I need you to slip on Jesus' boots for a moment. Could you imagine Jesus' heart as he walks through the multitude? It says that there are five roofed colonnades. These are, are really just covered walkways. So you got all of these people that are scattered around. They're littered among the walkways. And the point I'm trying to make here, and I want you to take away, is that Jesus has to see all of the needs all around him. He sees all of it. He'd have to be blind to not see the need. He's literally probably having to step over this person, step over this person, kind of squeeze through this gap. And he's seeing all of this as he's walking through the midst of all of these people. He acknowledges and he, he sees the needs of many. Now I need you to keep those boots on. Could you imagine what he's probably feeling? seeing all of these people. He sees the needs. All of my kids, uh, when they, they reached the ages of three to five, they all started to ask uh, a whole bunch of questions. Anybody been their parents? They've got all kinds of questions and ask about everything under the sun. I, I mean, and one question they always ask, it never fails, is that especially in the city, when we're driving down the street and they'll sit on the street holding the sign. Why, why, why are they out there in the middle of the street? And so we have to take time to explain to them that that person is homeless and they're, they're in need, they're asking for help. And so what we've tried to do uh, throughout the years, we don't always get this right, is we'll, we'll keep some food in our car or something in our car to where uh, when we see somebody, we, we, we try to help. And so every time... They, they see this person because we've done this. They're starting to understand this concept of being homeless. And, and when they see the person, they naturally now want to help. I, I remember when Ramaya, she's, she was five years old. She's not five anymore. She's huge. She's like 13. She thinks she's grown. But she's, she's smiling at me. She's five. She was five. I remember this. Um, she, uh, we had just given her a dollar, and she's learning the concept of money. And we gave her a dollar. And uh, she was walking down the street with my, my wife, and she saw uh, a man, and she said, and he was asking for help, and she said, Mom, can I give him my dollar? And my wife said, Sure, you go ahead and give him your dollar. You can give him your dollar. And so she proceeds in, the, in her only way, uh, the way she thought was best to try to help this man and give him a dollar. Now watch this. A five-year-old was able to acknowledge the need and tried her best to meet it, which still messes with me and, and really should make all of us as adults ask a question. Do we acknowledge the needs of others around us? And, and listen, I'm not telling you this story to say, well, the Puckett family got it all together and, and we figured out the way to help and raise our kids the right way. And, and because we told her this is what you should do, or if you see a homeless person, you should give some money or you should give, give them some food. No, I, I, and my dad was like, look, look, you need to help. I'd be like, what dollar? What you talking about? Ain't no dollar over here. 
So, so I'm not trying to say that we all have it all together, but, but it really, that it should beg the question of us, do we acknowledge the needs of people around us? Do we help those who are in need? If we truly have renewed hearts, then, then there's an outpouring that comes out of our hearts to, to help those that are in need. Y'all missing the studies from ChicagoHomeless.org say that there was, a, listen, it's estimated 109,000 842 Chicagoans that were homeless in 2020. And even more than that, that really messes with my heart, is that homelessness continues to disproportionately impact black and Latino Chicagoans. Black Chicagoans make up more than half. 56% of the total population that are experiencing homelessness Black. And if people staying on shelters, it's not done yet, staying in shelters or on the street, 75.9% of them are black. In 2020 alone, estimated 18,272 Hispanic or Latino Chicagoans ex experienced homelessness. And that's just what the numbers, the numbers we have. Renewal, hear me. As believers... This should really strike a chord in us. It should hurt our hearts, but at the same time, compel us to want to do something. See, Jesus did not just preach on, on mountaintops and, and work miracles and then hang on a cross so that you can have eternal life, but you see him countless times like this one throughout Scripture going to people who are in need, dwelling with people in need that don't have homes, that are disabled. He's reaching out to help them. Y'all, Jesus himself was homeless. Believers are to care for those in need, not just because we, wanna, we, we see the need or, or we want to do something that's good, but the gospel or what Jesus did for us compels us. When he hangs on, hangs on the cross, y'all, it compels us. If we truly have a gospel experience with Jesus, then it compels us to help others because we once were there. See, if we don't have a heart of compassion toward those in need, then I'm, I'm going to step on some toes with this one. But if we don't have a heart of compassion towards those that are in need, then we really need to check whether or not we're saved. That hurts. We, we really need to check and see, well, do I really know Jesus? And I'm not, I'm not trying to make you do something or coerce you into something or make you feel good, guilty, but, but, but how can we say we truly believe in Jesus where most of his ministry was to the needy and then we don't care about the needy ourselves. I, I love what Paul says in Ephesians. He said, don't, don't forget, don't be acting like you weren't once in darkness. You weren't once in that downcast place. You were once there and then you were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. So don't act like you can't go back and help those other people. See, the problem is here, I know I'm going there this morning all quick. See, see the problem is, is that that conservative Christianity in America has turned away from social justice issues because of the fear of being seen as preaching the social gospel. This is why much of the younger generation of or black and brown people want nothing to do with the church. Nothing to do with the church because church or Christianity has deemed issues of the community not worthy of being gospel issues, which couldn't be further away from the truth. 
Christians will say things like, well, you just need to preach the gospel. And if you preach the gospel, people will come. Leave all that other stuff alone, all those social issues up to the activists and the people in the community. Because we don't, Jesus is done and, and have the gospel take a back seat to the, the social issues. But see, the problem is when you look at Jesus's ministry, he does quite the opposite. He doesn't shy away from the social issues and the tension of the gospel now intersecting with these social issues. In fact, he says, come on, bring it on. He welcomes it. Even in this passage, Jesus, look at this. He's healing a, a, a socially, economically downcast man who has been ostracized by society and looked over. And he does all of this on the Sabbath when nobody is supposed to be working. Y'all, Jesus is being all types of controversial in this passage. Social gospel, what? Jesus heals this man. And later he's questioned by the, the Jews that they're acting like they would have done something. Why are you going to heal him on the Sabbath? They weren't going to heal this man anyway. He's been sitting there for 38 years. And Jesus says, and I, I love how he responds to him, verse 17. You keep on reading. He says, my father is working until now, and I'm working. Y'all, Jesus is all types of gangsters sometimes in, his, in the writings, man. I love it. He basically says to them, yeah, God, God did rest on the Sabbath. But he's still Lord over the Sabbath, which means that although he's resting, he's still upholding the universe at the same time. Jesus says, I can't rest right now because the work is not finished. My people still need me. And I wish I had two people up in here that believed in Jesus because how many of y'all thankful that your God never stops working on your behalf? How many of y'all are thankful this morning that he got you up when you ain't want to get up out that bed when you were stuck in that hard place? Your God didn't stop working for you. How many of you are thankful that even when you're resting, he's still working? I wish I had two people that believed in Jesus this morning. Friends, when you're looking at this passage, what I'm trying to get at is that if God himself in the flesh, Jesus, was so moved that he would engage in a social justice issue, caring for the poor, this disabled man on the Sabbath, then as Christians saved by grace through Jesus Christ, there should be an overwhelming compassion towards those that are in need. Now, I know before y'all try to throw me into the heretical category, I need y'all to listen. Listen. Jesus cared for social justice issues while still being true to his message of forgiveness and grace. I don't, don't miss that. This means he never changed who he was. He never changed his message in order to meet somebody else where they are. See, that's where we get this thing all messed up. We, 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 we change who we are or we start twisting the truth to meet somebody where they are. And now it ain't about the gospel anymore. It's about their issue. It's about where they are. We change who we are to meet somebody else. Jesus never does that. See, that, that's the problem right there. He keeps his message of grace and truth, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love. And, and he doesn't change who he is to meet somebody where they are. Y'all, he meets this woman at the well because he's thirsty. 
Like, that's the quickest way for me to get water. I'm going to meet her there, and we're going to talk. I don't care. We're going to meet her. He don't change who he is. He meets this woman, this man in the text, and, and, and dude been there for 38 years. I'm going to talk about this a little more. He ain't changing who he is. See, many times we see issues or we see problems in society. A heart does go out for them, but instead of meeting or walking to that place, And keeping the truth the truth, we change or we change the truth. Jesus doesn't do that when he confronts issues of justice, forgiveness, and grace. Less well known is the biblical teaching that a true experience of the grace of Jesus Christ inevitably motivates a man or woman to seek justice in the world. This means you can't come to know Jesus and not seek justice. The two go hand in hand. What Keller is saying is that when you realize how depraved, how dirty, how grimy and messed up you truly are, but at the same time you're still loved by Jesus, it drives you to seek the welfare or the care of someone else. See, when we really understand how messed up we truly are and, 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 and still are, every ounce of pride in us dissipates. And we're now motivated to look out for others because although their issues may be seen outwardly, ah, this might hurt, we, we are still maybe just as bad or even worse inwardly. We just see their mess. We... We see their mess, but ours in here. Renewal, let me ask you, are you caring for other people? Uh, this is why I love our partnership with like Breakthrough, where we minister to the homeless and the people out in need in our community. I, I love our partnership with GRIP, where we minister to fatherless youth and, and students in need, myself being one of those. Without a mentor, I don't know if I'd be standing up in front of you. See, it's impossible to say you believe in Jesus and not care for others around you. Believers can't turn a blind eye to the needs of their city. Jesus, in Matthew 9, he, he, when he looks out and he, he, he looks at the multitude, he feels compassion on the multitudes of the lost and the, the people in need, and he says the harvest is plentiful. Jesus shows us that the gospel compels us to see the needs Renewed hearts see the needs. I love this interaction with the paralyzed man here because not only does Jesus see that there, there's a problem on the large scale with the multitudes, but in the midst of the multitude, he stops and he talks to one man. He sees the larger problem, but he stops to take care of one man. Listen, family, this lets us know that he doesn't just see the multitudes, but he also sees our personal needs. Y'all missing this. You're missing it because if I'm honest, I just spent all that time talking about believers seeing the needs of other people around them. And I'm not getting, I'm only getting two amens in here because. We struggle, if we're honest, to get that far in our Christian journey. You know why? 
because we haven't fully believed that Jesus can meet our personal need. Ooh. We can't get to looking at other people's needs because we haven't fully believed that Jesus can fix or meet our personal need. Family, hear me. Jesus sees the needs of the multitudes, but he also stops and can see your personal need. Now, you're looking at this text. Maybe, maybe you've never been disabled. Maybe you're not paralyzed. You, you, you might not have a learning disability. You may not be poor, but there's something in your life that you need help with. Renewal, sometimes it's very easy for us to acknowledge the needs of other people and look around and see a need because it's visibly there. And, it, and, and we see the problems of the world. Or really, are we humble enough to admit where we need help? See, the funny thing about this is that many times we can struggle and we struggle with something in our life until we're blue in the face and Hair turns gray or you lose all your hair. And then while God is, he's sitting on the sideline watching you the whole time. Like, I, I, I see it all. I, I, I got it. I, I just need you to, to, to admit it. I need you to come to me for help. I mean, family, we, we got to stop and get to the point where, where pride is outside of the picture and say, God, this is me. This is what, where I'm at. I, I need some help. Let me ask you. Is there something in your life this morning that you need help with? Then secondly, let me ask you, have you brought it to Jesus yet? He truly laid it at his feet. You look at verses 5 through 8 in here, we see just that. In verse 5, Jesus comes to this man. He asks a question, but the text lets us know before the question comes, that Jesus knows that this man has been here for 38 years waiting to be healed. Now, pause. Could you imagine being homeless and sitting next to a mercy pool seeking healing for 38 years? Not one month or one year, 38 years. People just passing you by. Stepping over you, not stopping to help. Jesus knows that this man has been here for a very long time, but he still proceeds to ask the man in verse 6, do you want to be healed? <laughs> now, you might be saying, that's a weird question. That's obvious, Jesus. Of course he wants to be healed. Why would you ask that? I believe there's a couple things going on here. Number one, Jesus really is asking this man, do you want to be healed? The word want, listen to this, in the Greek is pronounced thelo. Say thelo. Thelo, which means wish or desire. So Jesus is saying, my man, you've been sitting here for a very long time, 38 years to be exact. Do you still really want to be healed? Better yet, do you still desire to be healed? Do you believe that you can be healed? 
You ever been at that point in your life where you've just been doing something so long, you've been struggling with something, you've been stuck in a place for so long that, that you just kind of get used to that thing? I'm having this pain in my knee, this pain in my, my, my ankle. It's been here for years and just is what it is. I'm just going to stick with it. You've just been dealing with something so long or, or something, some struggle in your life. You're like, well, it just is what it is. There's no hope. You just, you just lost hope and you've just start, started to exist in that thing. Relationships, friendships, marriages, just, ah, we here, I'm going to just be in this thing. Your desire to get through it or to see it be better or overcome whatever it is has seemed to start, has, has seemed to fade. You ever been there before? See, part of the issue with our problems or places we need help is that we've, we've been in these things because we've been in them so long with them struggling with whatever it is, we have lost hope. We've lost desire to get out of those things. Renewal, listen, this research shows that patients that are sick and have a desire to be well or, be, or believe that they can be healed, they either survive more or they live longer. Part of the reason we stay stuck in certain areas is because we've lost desire. That you this morning. Are you stuck in whatever place you're in, whatever struggle it is? Have you lost the will and the want to be free? Have you lost the faith that you can be healed? Maybe you're single this morning and you, you want to be married still, but you've had so many broken relationships or none at all. And and you're like, well, I just I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm, I'm done. Maybe you're struggling in an area like purity or depression, your identity, and you've just dealt with it for so long that you're just like, well, it is what it is. This is who I am. I ain't going to get better than this. Or maybe you're in a place where you actually are ill. You, you actually do have something going on within your body. You're sick, and you just, I, I, you've lost all hope. Wherever you are this morning, do you still have a desire to be healed or be free? Do you believe that God can heal you? See, this man in our text, he's been sitting at this pool called Bethesda, which means mercy, for 38 years. This was longer than most people's lifespan during antiquity. And Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Do you still desire it? Family, listen, I don't know what you're going through or whatever that thing is that's in your life that you've been struggling with. But whatever it is, are you trusting Jesus for it? Keep on trusting him. Don't you give up. Keep on believing. The second reason I believe Jesus asked this question is because this man, he's simply been sitting at the wrong place all these years. He's been sitting at the wrong place seeking healing. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Because he wants this man to know the only person that can extend mercy to you and heal you is me. This man doesn't even know who he's talking to. He addresses Jesus as, as sir, and then he doesn't even answer the question. You want to be healed? He, uh, again, there's no desire here. The man gives him ex an excuse. He says, well, I, I just ain't got nobody to put me in the pool. 
When, when it's stirring, I don't have any help to get in the pool. I, I need healing, but, but I, I just don't have help. He doesn't answer Jesus' question. And sometimes, friends, we can be just like this man, giving excuses, or we're just sitting at the wrong place seeking healing. Many times, if not most, the reality is we, it's not that we don't need help. We just run to the wrong places, the wrong people, trying to find it. This man, he's sitting at a pool seeking mercy when the very mercy giver himself is standing right in front of him. Friends, where do you seek help in times of need? When tensions in your marriage are at an all-time high, do you run to Jesus or some other person or some vice? When you're struggling with hurt, depression, pain, frustration, where do you run to? Do you run to Jesus or something or someone else? Many times when we're struggling and we're really going through it, we make Jesus the last resort instead of the first. The number one thing I ask people when they come in uh, to my office and they're saying they're struggling with something, Pastor, I'm going through this, I'm wrestling with this, I always ask them before we go any further, if they haven't already said it, have you prayed about it? Have you stopped and have you prayed? Have you spent some time with Jesus? If they say no, I say, you need to go do that now. Because, because most of the time they're going to come in and they're going to start telling all the, the story and the reality is they have never even, they haven't even prayed about it. Or, and if they have prayed about it, it's like, yeah, I prayed about it, but I didn't get the answer. I didn't get anything yet, so I, I just kept it moving. No, 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 you need to stay there. Friends, listen, if Jesus is the only one that, that can get us through whatever, this is what he's trying to tell this man. If Jesus is the only one that can get us through whatever it may be that we're going through, whether it be sickness, depression, our trials, or anything else, then we got to trust him the whole way through the process. Not when he doesn't answer when we want. We got to keep on trusting. We got to know from where our help comes from, where, from whom our help comes from. We got to run to the right place and stay there trusting him. Let me see if I can make this plain. I, I love uh, the movie, The Christmas Story. You ever watched that movie, Christmas Story? Everybody's seen that movie, right? If you haven't, then you, your TV just be broken during the holiday times because it's on like 24 hours a day. Uh, during Christmas time, the Christmas story, uh, and throughout the movie, you got little Ralphie, and little Ralphie, he's the oldest son, and he, he, he wants one thing for Christmas. He wants this, this Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot air rifle, and he asked his mom and his dad for it repeatedly over and over again, and they always say the words, you, no, you'll shoot your eye out. He goes to the Santa Claus, and he sits on his lap, and the dude's kind of scary, and he throws him down the slide, and he stops the slide, and he, he tells him, I, I want a Red Rider 200-shot air rifle. He's, I, want this, I want this BB gun, and Santa looks at him and says, kid, you shoot your eye out. Over and over again, he keeps getting the same response, and so he gets creative, and he starts putting little notes in, in, in his mother's magazines all throughout the house and saying, this is what I want, circling the, the BB gun in different magazines. This is what I want. He keeps on going, and he does not stop until he gets it. Well, watch this. There's three important lessons that we learn from little Ralphie. Number one, 
has to get it, his parents. And number three, he didn't stop until he got it. Listen, because y'all missed it. When we're dealing with issues in our lives, when we're dealing with problems, we got to be like little Ralphie. We got to, number one, desire to get through that thing. And number two, we got to know who to go to to get through it, Jesus. And number three, we can't stop trusting Jesus until he gets us through the process. Who are you running to when you need help, family? Who are you believing in this morning for your help? Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever who draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that God can help you? Do you have faith in him? Friends, I'm not sure where you need help this morning. Some of us walked in here and we have, we've been struggling. We have plain old issues going on in our lives that may be out of our control. We didn't do it. Financial issues, hurts and pains in our body, things that are going on in our life that we're like, how did I get, at this, get to this place? And it may not even be because of you and you just need some plain old help. Some of us in here, we, we may be in places in our life because of sin and things that we've done in our lives that don't line up with the Bible. And we're like, wait a second, I don't even know if I can go to God. Does he even love me? Does he want me? And in both of these instances, the question we got to answer is, have we even acknowledged our need? Have we acknowledged our need and gone to God? So again, I ask you, do you believe that Jesus can help you? See, when Jesus died on the cross, he, did, he died to be present with us, died giving us salvation, but also he died where in Matthew 28 he says, I'll be with you until the end of the age, all through eternity, which means he, he, he meets us in our present need, but he fulfills our eternal need. See, Jesus renews our hearts, and when we believe, he not only helps us individually, but as I said earlier, we now get to see the needs of the multitudes. The question, and I'm going to end with this, that we have to answer is, have we acknowledged our need for him? Have you acknowledged your need? Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Need you to do business with Jesus right now. Have you acknowledged your need for him? We've been in a rough season the last couple years, and I think what we want to do is just get over it and get on with our lives. The reality is that we've all struggled in many different ways. Have we acknowledged our need for him? There's someone here this morning that has never acknowledged Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He's been pulling at your heart. 
Yet you never said, Jesus, I need you. And I believe that day might be the day. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you hear this, all I want to do, I just want to see your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Jesus, I need you. I need you. I want to give you my life. I see it. See your hands. tired of running my life the way I've been doing it. It's one thing after another. I need you to help me. Secondly, there's someone in here that you've just been going through and you've acknowledged your need for Jesus. He's your Lord and Savior. But you've been trying to do it all on your own lately and you just say, I need, I need to come on back. I need you to help me, Jesus. If that's you, can you raise your hand? Just been in this hard place. I see you. I see you. Jesus, I need you. Friends, as we come to the table this morning, I get ready to pray. If you raise your hand, I'd love to pray with you. Pastor Steve will be here. He'll pray with you. Ramon's in the back. Tammy will be in the back. If you, if you just need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Acknowledge your need for Jesus. Maybe you didn't raise your hand and you're one of those folks. Keep doing business with Jesus right now. Don't leave this place the same way you came in. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being our present help in a time of need. Thank you that you never close your doors to us coming to you. No matter how far off we are, God, you still sit on the porch like the prodigal's father waiting for us to come home. And God, there's some of us that have been sitting at the home, but we've been neglecting you in our lives. We're not running for you or living for you the way we used to. And we too need to say, Jesus, I need you. Wherever we are this morning, Lord, I pray that we be honest about needing help and needing you. And we wouldn't just give you part of our lives, but we give you all of our hearts. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we all say together, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.